You're listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at Help University, the University of Achievers. We'll be bringing you conversations with renowned psychologists and other health professionals that discuss a wide range of topics on mental health, psychology, and well-being. The Empowering Lives Podcast comes to you from the biggest psychology department in the whole of Malaysia. As we talk about the issues that matter to you most, stay tuned to this global podcast as we empower you to take away valuable insights and lessons that can improve your emotional health and well-being today. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Empowering Lives podcast. My name is Elaine Fernandez and I'm the head of the Department of Psychology here at Help University, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Today we'll be talking about an often neglected part of mental health, which is physical health and fitness. And we are joined today by Jordan Syed, a world record holding power lifter, certified fitness and nutrition coach, and also a former trainer to Gary V, I believe. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, today we're going to be going into uh, talking about how, to, how people go about getting into fitness and nutrition, uh, the challenges that are faced in maintaining that, and sometimes the uh, mental health consequences of either not getting involved in fitness or also getting too caught up in sort of mm. the whole fitness uh, industry and the issues around that. So, uh, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. And, and thank you for getting up at 4 a.m. your time. In order, <laughs> or actually, you're probably up at 3, right? I mean, it's, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, no worries at all. Um, so, I think just to get us started off, um, one of the biggest challenges I think a lot of people face in making lifestyle changes is really getting into uh, health and fitness because most of us recognize the benefits of doing so, but it's somewhat of a chore sometimes just to make that decision and you know get started. So what do you think really prevents people from taking the first steps towards yeah. making those lifestyle changes? It's a great question. Um, and I'll say... I have yet, and I've worked with thousands and thousands of people, I've yet to come across a single person who doesn't know that exercising is good for them. Yeah. Right? It's like, this is pretty, <laughs> pretty common knowledge now. Uh, and that's really what has interested me from the time I was a teenager. Um, everybody knows that smoking is bad for you. But still, not only do people continue to smoke, but people get their first pack of cigarettes. Like today, someone is going to buy their first pack of cigarettes today. And I've always been interested in the why, why do people do the th not do the things they know they should do? Yeah. And why do the things that they know they shouldn't do, even with all of the knowledge? And this is a very interesting aspect of human behavior and psychology for me is that knowledge isn't enough, yeah. right? Knowledge is an important component, but it's not everything. Um, one of the things that I've realized one of the major reasons that I've found people struggle to take that first step is because they don't actually believe they can succeed, period. Mm. Right? So if we look at self-efficacy, yeah. right? Which yeah. An individual's belief in their ability to succeed. Most people, unfortunately, are especially in regard to weight loss and mm. health and fitness, they're coming from a place of, 
oftentimes trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing, mm-hmm. usually trying things that are very unsustainable, very quick fix, very fad diet promoted. Um, oftentimes they'll try it and they'll fail. And then they do that so often that they just don't think they can succeed anyway. And they've been yeah. told at their age, their gender, their metabolism, whatever it is. And so in their mind, they're like, why bother if I'm not even going to be able to succeed? And the way I always frame this is, if I told you today, let, let's say you had, let's say you had zero dollars in your bank account. God forbid, right? Zero dollars. And I was like, if you raise ten thousand dollars and you spend those ten thousand dollars on a lottery ticket, you have a ninety-nine percent chance of winning a million dollars. Guarantee you would raise those ten thousand dollars and you'd buy a lottery ticket because. Uh, you knew you would succeed. Like it was like free money. Right. But if let's say you had a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account, which would be pretty nice. You have a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account. And I say, if you spend 10,000 of those dollars on a lottery ticket, you have a 10% chance of winning a million dollars. You might not even be willing to take the money you already have because you don't think your likelihood of succeeding is that great to begin with. So why bother putting in that effort? And this is what I see with health and fitness is people are coming from a place of they don't think it's going to work anyway. So Mm. why would they bother starting? And there are other reasons as well, but this is one of the biggest ones, which is why a huge portion of my content and my coaching and my strategies is based around showing people how to help them believe in themselves more, giving people Mm. strategies without, I don't frame it like, Hey, I'm going to help you believe in yourself more, but having throughout the coaching process, helping them learn how to do that and how to have conversations with themselves that allow them to believe in themselves more. Because if they believe in themselves, even just a little bit more, they're more likely to take action. And Mm. with that action comes more results. And with those results come more motivation. Yeah, that's, that's a huge part about, uh, any kind of behavioral change, right? Whether or not you believe that you can do it. And uh, I think maybe, what do you think about the fact that, you know, people look at Instagram, I think is a huge uh, place where people go to look for fitness motivation, you know, fitspiration and all of that. And they see these really ripped, really, you know, uh, healthy looking people. And they think that is the standard that they need to be able to achieve. And they make these exercises look so easy. And then I try and do a deadlift and then my back, <laughs> you know, pulls. Uh, so how much do you think sort of the fitness industry itself is perhaps playing a role in making it very difficult for the average person to think that they can get into fitness because the models that we're seeing are not actually very reflective of the reality of somebody who's just trying to get into uh, getting healthier? I think historically it's played a, a key role in doing the opposite of what it says it's supposed to do, right? I think it's played a key role in discouraging people from actually doing healthy things, uh, living a healthier lifestyle. I think some people will look at a picture of someone who's ripped or shredded and someone will get really motivated by that, right? They'll Mm -hmm. get really motivated and they'll be like, cool, I'm going to do it. Ironically, that often leads to an obsessive behavior with it and they take it too far, other people will look at that picture and be like, I will never look like that person in my entire life. I'm not even going to bother trying it. Mm -hmm. So we have this like very polarizing idea. And now I will say, even though there's a lot of nonsense on Instagram and a lot of nonsense on social Mm -hmm. media, now more than ever, 
there is a lot of great content and very yeah. open, honest, vulnerable coaches showing what their bodies really look like all around the year, not just when they prep for a photo shoot, mm-hmm. what their bodies look like when they're not photoshopped, what they're, when they sit down and they show their, their fat rolls like every human has. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think now more than ever, it's a very good time for the fitness industry, which it doesn't mean that there isn't terrible stuff out there because there is really stupid stuff out there. I literally mm-hmm. just saw some stuff on TikTok five minutes ago. <laughs> but um, I, th- I do think it's important just to try and be as objective as possible and say it is getting better, I think. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Um, I think maybe following up on that, uh, how can people sort of differentiate then, you know, in terms of the content that they consume on Instagram and YouTube and all that so much? Um, how can they identify the accounts that are actually going to be useful for them in, in their journey? That's a really good question. Um, and if I had one definitive answer, it would, it would be way easier. I don't, but I will say this. I will say generally speaking, the best coaches and the best accounts tend to find a way to frame their message in a way that is very open-minded, right? They are very, they're, they're not very dogmatic. They're not making outrageous claims. They're not saying like you can get like lose 50 pounds in a month or whatever it is. They're very realistic. And the best coaches in my mind are the ones who say the best program is the one that works for you. Mm. That, that's sort of the key, the, the cornerstone line that I look for. Mm-hmm. If someone has the ketogenic diet in their Instagram handle, they might not be a very objective practitioner, right? If they're like, well, I only do keto or I only do intermittent fasting or Mm -hmm. I only do carnivore or I only am, I only do Mm plant-based. Then if you are, if you like one of those amazing, but you also have to understand if they've aligned themselves with a certain nutrition or exercise strategy so much that Mm -hmm. they have it in their handle and that it's all of their content, they might not be very objective. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking around for content, Try to look for the people who are very open-minded, who don't tear other people down, mm. who are very like, listen, this can work, that can work. All I care about is you doing what works best for you. Those tend to be the people who have the greatest understanding and knowledge around the entire industry. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic point because I think a lot of the time people are finding the best method. So you find that even among the lay people, we're constantly debating, is it keto? Is it plant-based is it you know uh low carb so i think that's that's a very good point to make so that people recognize that not everyone's body is different and what you will respond to is going to be very very different as well even in terms of the kind of workouts and and things that yeah not to mention in terms of like what your body responds to but also like what you prefer Mm. and 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 i think one of the one of the best things for me as a coach was being able to work with people all over the world. Because people always ask me for a meal plan. Imagine if I tried to give someone in Malaysia a meal plan (laughs) based on the foods that I have available here. It's like, it's very different. So, I mean, I work with people in the Middle East. I work with people in Russia. I work with people in Malaysia. I work with people in Brazil. I work with people, even just in the United States, there's so many different cuisines. It's like, you have to find what works best for you, your preferences, 
your culture. Like there's mm-hmm. so much that goes into health far more than just simply, all right, here's your meal plan, right? There's mm-hmm. so much that goes into it. And if you don't take the individual into account, you yeah. are completely missing the boat. Yeah. And I think some of the things that you talk about as well is about, you know, restrictive diet. So just above and beyond sort of like uh, the kinds of macronutrients that are most prevalent in someone's diet, it's also the kinds of food that people think they need to avoid entirely in order for them to succeed. And I think a lot of the message that you have about this is so, it's about too much restriction mm-hmm. um, and therefore that not being sustainable over time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, just in general, when you tell someone not to do something, <laughs> the usual response is, all right, I'm going to do that one thing. We see this in all, actually, we see this across the board in addictive behaviors in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this happens a lot in food and, and binge eating, right? So yeah. you tell someone no more carbs, you are about to see some really unhealthy behaviors in relation to carbs. Mm-hmm. When, when, cause they might be all right, cool. No carbs Monday, no carbs Tuesday, no carbs Wednesday by Wednesday. All right. Like they're looking around like, oh, I'm looking for carbs <laughs> Thursday. All right. They're gritting their teeth Friday. Boom. It's an explosion. Yeah. And, and it might not always be in a week. Maybe it's in a month, maybe it's in a year, mm-hmm. but when you create this idea that you can never have a certain food and just going with carbs because that seems to be the fad right now with the ketogenic diet, low carb stuff, which mm-hmm. for whoever's listening, like this isn't new. This has been a fad for years. The fitness industry fads always go in cycles. This has been yeah. something that was around in the 90s and before. This isn't new at all. Atkins so if someone's like, oh, there's this new thing called the ketogenic diet, it's like look up the research around the ketogenic diet. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you tell someone don't do something or don't eat this, now all of a sudden that becomes, it's like, don't think of a white elephant. What's mm-hmm. the first thing you do? You think of a white elephant. If you don't eat carbs, well now all you're going to want to do is eat carbs. I would much rather give people an opportunity to enjoy their favorite foods in moderation without guilt, without shame that mm-hmm. allows them to achieve their goals and live a healthy lifestyle than tell them that they can never have X, Y, Z food. And all of a sudden they're having a disordered relationship with food and their body mm-hmm. and exercise. Yeah. I think that, that that's actually a, a huge point about people becoming sort of obsessive mm-hmm. uh, in terms of controlling their diets or the, even their exercise in a week. Um, I think along those lines as well, I think you've spoken about uh, consistency a lot and how that's potentially more important than things like motivation and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I think maybe where some people might have a difficulty wrapping their heads around that, especially for those of us who uh, tend towards the more obsessive side <laughs> of fitness, is how do you differentiate between being consistent and being sort of too regimented and too, you know, hard on yourself uh, when you don't actually meet your fitness goals for the day. You know, some of us think, oh, we need to work out half an hour a day, every day of the, every other day or something like that. And we miss a day and we are like, no, this is going to derail me entirely for the month, etc. So how do you differentiate between being consistent and being regimented and almost obsessive about how you approach things? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say consistent and regimented are more similar than they are not. Mm-hmm. Consistent and obsessive, now we have, that's a different thing, right? Yeah. And 
I wouldn't even go so far as to say being obsessive is bad only because I don't know anyone who's done anything great who hasn't been obsessive about right. it, right? right. So I, I do think that is an important differentiation to make. Mm-hmm. What I think that needs to be very clear here is there's a difference between being consistent or even being obsessive and being an asshole to yourself. Right. Right. It's, <laughs> and that's really what it boils down to. If, yeah. if you can't go on vacation for a week and go and not work out, like if you're going to go on vacation with your family for a week and you are infuriated because you can't work out because the gym isn't up to your standard and <laughs> The, the entire vacation is ruined and you're angry at your kids and you're, you're getting mad at your spouse because all you're thinking about is all the progress you think you're losing in the mm-hmm. gym from not being able to work out. That's a problem. And that has nothing to do with being consistent or regimented or obsessive. Yeah. That has to do with you having completely and utterly unrealistic expectations for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's driven out of fear. That's driven out of a fear of usually in most people's case, losing uh, or gaining Gains. fat, right? right? So, and some people on the other end, there, there are a lot of power lifters or strength athletes who the fear will be losing their strength, mm-hmm. right? So we have people who are worried they're going to get fat. We have people who are worried they're going to lose all their strength or lose all their muscle. Yeah. I mean, I, it, throughout my years, I've, I've met many men who, if they go more than a few hours without having a protein shake, they start to get anxious because mm. they don't think that their muscles are getting enough amino acids on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I've worked with many women who they freak out if they're going to go out to dinner with their family on a Friday night because they don't want to eat too much and ruin all of their progress. Mm-hmm. This is a really important distinction to make that you can be consistent all you want, but if consistency turns into unrealistic expectations of progress, mm-hmm. now you're in an issue. And, and the, the phrase that I've used that has helped a lot of people has been, let's just like sort of frame it in the sense of, let's say your best friend. So if, if a woman comes to me and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to dinner tonight with my family. I am scared shitless that I'm going to ruin all my progress. Like, I don't know what to do. The menu doesn't have the calories on it. I'm freaking out. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, hold on. What's your best friend's name? And like my, they're a little bit taken aback. I'm like, they're like, Anna. I'm like, cool. Let's say Anna says the exact same thing to you. Anna says, oh my God, I'm going out to dinner with my family tonight. I don't know what the calories are on the menu. I'm freaking out. I'm going to ruin all my progress. What do I do? What would you tell Anna? And they're like, I'd tell her to relax. And mm-hmm. like, it's no, it's one meal isn't going to ruin everything. I'd be like, that's really good advice. You should take that advice. <laughs> and, and just doing that helps calm them down. Yeah. And so for me, the issue isn't how consistent or regimented or even obsessive you are. Mm-hmm. My concern is how are you turning these thoughts into fears and how are you actually processing through them? Because mm-hmm. if they're becoming something that controls you and your actions, now we have a problem. Right. So it's all sort of like an all or nothing kind of approach exactly. to how you live your life. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that's a really good distinction to make because I think a lot of people are afraid of becoming like that. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that stops us from, or, or makes us go the other way. Right. You also have the people who go, oh, well, I ruined it this week. Might as well just go all the way and then you start binging and then (laughs) it just spirals downhill from there as well. So um, I guess on the flip side of that is how do you develop consistency in a sense that when you make a 
quote unquote mistake, right? Um, and and maybe eat too much one day or forget forget to exercise or be lazy to exercise for a week. How do you get back on track? Because I guess that's what consistency is about, right? So even when you're not following your plan, you get back to your plan um, and and keep going. So how do you do that part of it? Because that's two, obviously two very big sides to this coin. Yeah. And that's a really wonderful question and outlook. And I love the best part about that entire question and that whole phrase was when you put mistake in quotes. Mm-hmm. Because it basically what you were saying was, I'm saying the word mistake, but I also fully understand and internalize that eating too much one day or missing a workout isn't actually a mistake, mistake, right? And that's the crux of the issue is when people think that they really made a mistake, now they can use that as a justification to not get back on track. Because if Mm -hmm. they think that they ate too much, if they think that they, they missed a workout and everything, and they ruined their progress, now they have now they're going back to what we spoke about first which is they don't believe in their ability to succeed because yeah. they think they already ruined it so yeah. because they think they already ruined it well what's the point i quit and usually when they get to that point they were they were very restrictive when they before that point so they were mm-hmm. really restricting their calories they were really restricting the food they were eating they were being outrageously obsessive to the point of doing a workout out of fear every single day and mm-hmm. as soon as they missed it well i ruined it and they mm-hmm. use that as a justification to go off track completely because before it was all restriction 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 yeah. now they can sort of go the other way now they're going to binge now they're going to like well cool i wasn't allowed to do it before so now i'm going to go the complete other way until i restrict again and that's sort of the issue with being so overly restrictive is it sort of essentially pushes you into a binge restrict cycle where yeah. if there's obsessive compulsive restriction and over the top restriction on the other end of it, there will be binging. And that binging could come in the form of literally binge eating. It mm-hmm. could come in the form of maybe you're they're restricting in terms of you're working out every day, nonstop, seven days a week. You're going, you're going, you're going. You miss one workout and then you don't go to the gym for two months. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that doesn't really make sense. We need to have a little bit more balance here. Yeah. So the key to consistency here, or one of the major keys is not looking at having a bad day or missing a workout as a mistake, just looking at it as part of the process mm-hmm. and understanding that no one ever got ridiculously strong or jacked from one workout. Mm-hmm. No one ever lost all of their strength or muscle from one workout. No one ever got skinny from having one salad. No one ever got fat from having one donut. It's like we have to have this very realistic perspective of progress so that you mm-hmm. can know it wasn't a mistake. You didn't screw up. Just get back on track and the consistency is what will provide the results. I think in line with that as well, I think one of the things that you do that's quite interesting from a psychological point of view is, you know, you've been tracking your mini cut uh, where you've been uh, just tracking your weight, I think, almost daily, if I'm not wrong. Yep. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's a bit of a, huh? Because I think one of the things that we're afraid of is staring at the scale every day and getting frustrated with ourselves and uh, you know, seeing, oh no, there's no change. And what you've managed to show is that over time, there is a downward trend despite, you know, the spikes and the natural changes, fluctuations in someone's weight because weight is so much more than just your fat, right? That's um, exactly right. So 
can you talk us through that? Because I think there's a lot of people who are afraid to weigh themselves for that very reason. Because one, it's very discouraging when you first start out and then you see exactly how much you weigh, even though there is no real objective good weight for anyone, right? It really depends on your body composition and so on. Um, and also when you can't see day on day changes, it gets very frustrating, I think, for some people. Or you see sometimes spikes in, in your yeah. weight, right? So uh, can you talk us through the psychology, really, of, of tracking that and uh, how that could help some people understand the process, I guess, of getting yeah, fitter? Yeah, of course. It's, it's, a, it's a really important topic to discuss, and I think it's one of the things the fitness industry has butchered over the last mm-hmm. 10 years or so. And it's one thing I'm really working hard to change. Um, it all goes back to understanding realistic progress, right? Yeah. Which is like having that realistic perspective. If you step on the scale on Monday and expect to see a significant change on Tuesday, mm. you're out of your mind. <laughs> and, and I think we all logically know this, yeah. but when it comes into practice, it's very, very difficult. And we're all very, we tend to be hard on ourselves because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I've found the fitness industry to do is because people have had a bad relationship with the scale, Mm -hmm. a lot of fitness industry practitioners, coaches have said, well, just don't weigh yourself. Mm -hmm. Just don't don't weigh yourself. Just don't look at the scale. And I understand why they've said it. They've Mm -hmm. said it because what they've seen happen is their clients and people weighing themselves, getting really discouraged and quitting as a result of it. So I understand why they've said, don't weigh yourself. The issue is they're taking something that people are afraid of and just telling them to ignore it. And that is literally the worst thing (laughs) you can possibly do with anything that you're afraid of, which if we look at exposure therapy, the whole purpose is to progressively expose people to the things they're scared of until they're no longer scared Scared. of them anymore. It it goes completely against any and all basic psychology and human behavior. Just it's, it infuriates me. And so what they're (laughs) essentially doing is they're taking something that people are afraid of and making it worse Mm -hmm. rather than educating them. And cause it, and it actually, their logic goes back and forth. Right. So they'll be Mm -hmm. like, They'll be like, it's just, it's just a piece of plastic. It shouldn't, it shouldn't bother you, mm-hmm. but you should ignore it. I'm like, if, it, if it's just a piece of plastic and it shouldn't bother you, then you should be able to step on it and not let it bother you, yeah. right? Yeah. So for me, the whole reason, and this was actually, I didn't realize how important this was until I did my Big Mac challenge, right? <laughs> One Big Mac a day, every day for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. The, the most surprising component of that challenge to me was how freaked out people got when I weighed myself every day. Mm-hmm. They lost their mind. And when people saw like my, cause my weight fluctuates all the time. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I remember it spiked up like four pounds one time and people lost their shit. They freaked. Mm-hmm. They were like, if that was me, I'd quit right here. <laughs> and I was like, that's your problem. Your problem right. is that you would see that spike and then you'd quit. It's like, I'm going to stay on track. And in a few days, it's going to drop even further. And people were like, I've never thought of it that way. And mm-hmm. they've always weighed themselves day to day. And they compared their weight day to day. And that's what created a very unhealthy relationship and unrealistic expectation with the scale. Mm-hmm. The way that I look at the scale is if you weigh in on June 1st, you compare that weight to July 1st. 
Mm-hmm. You, you compare your June 2nd weight to your July 2nd weight. You compare mm-hmm. your J- June 3rd to July 3rd. Mm-hmm. You don't compare June 2nd to June 3rd. Mm-hmm. And you don't compare June 2nd to June 5th. You mm-hmm. compare it month to month. And I started, I used to do every two weeks, but the majority of my clients are women and we have to take in their menstrual cycle into account Yeah, because your menstrual cycle will radically affect your weight. It just mm-hmm. will. And men's weights are affected too just throughout the month, but it's not as radical as during yeah. your menstrual cycle. Yeah. So for me, I was like, we're going to do it month to month. And what, when you start doing that, number one, it takes away, because what I saw, what I realized was people would look at their weight, it, they'd have a big spike and they would look at that big spike almost in the same way they would look at having a bad nutrition day and they'd be yeah. like, well, I fucked up, so I quit. Yeah. So I, it takes away that justification. So Absolutely. I'm like, listen, we're not judging your weight today versus yesterday. We're looking at it on a monthly basis. So it mm-hmm. forces them to be more consistent throughout that month. And then when the next month comes, oh, wow, we have a clear downward trend line. They're clearly making progress. Now they're more motivated to stay consistent because they've seen the results they were actually looking for rather than comparing it day to day. So for me, weighing yourself daily is just a way to get more data mm-hmm. on yourself. How many data points do I have? If you get four data points over the month, you only weigh yourself four times, that is significantly less data compared to weighing seven days a week. Mm -hmm. So if you only weigh four times a month, then you are getting a very skewed idea of what your weight fluctuations are actually like. Mm -hmm. So I prefer, if if someone's scared of the scale, let's get them on the scale very frequently until now they realize their weight might fluctuate Mm-hmm. upwards of seven to 10 pounds every week, depending on the day. And now all of a sudden it doesn't hold that weight, no pun intended. It doesn't <laughs> hold that, that, uh, that much power over them because yeah. they know. I think that's important. Um, a lot of us go into fitness, not necessarily knowing a lot of these things, especially with regard to weight, what goes into weight, because we often associate higher weight with higher fat content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's scary for a lot of people. And even I guess some fluctuations could be, or some plateaus could just be muscle development versus fat loss. And, and people get really freaked out by the fact that they're not shifting uh, kilos, right? Yeah. Even though their body composition is changing. So um, I think that was one of the, the things that struck me as being particularly unique about sort of your approach, because you're absolutely right. Our relationship with the scale is completely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think on that note as well, um, you mentioned sort of coaches and and things like that. Uh, What are some things that would, I guess for the psychologists listening as well, I think we've got people who come to us to talk about uh, how they can improve performance or get better on track with their fitness and their health. And we recognize that uh, sometimes being unhealthy as well is a major contributor to uh, your mental health. What are some things that coaches can perhaps be more cognizant of when, when we're talking to people about their, their fitness journeys? Um, I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier was about individualization, right? And mm-hmm. everybody's sort of approach is different. So what are some tips that you can give um, to people who are trying to help people on their journeys? I would say the most important lesson I've learned is that and I'm going to expand on it, but the sort of the cliche saying is that something is always better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And this is critically important to understand because I know a lot of people, they, they severely underestimate the value 
of something as simple as walking for five minutes a day. Mm. They mm. like severely underestimate how helpful that is, not only for your physical health, but for your mental health, for your emotional health, mm-hmm. and equally, if not more important, your consistency. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know a lot of people, I've worked with so many people and a lot of them, they're very nervous, for example, to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym for many people is petrifying. Yeah. It scares the living hell out of them. They don't know what to do at the gym. Yeah. They're embarrassed at what people will think of them in the gym. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to wear to the gym. They don't know what exercises to do. They don't know how to do them. They don't, mm-hmm. They're too embarrassed to do classes. Mm-hmm. It's, the idea of going to the gym is absolutely petrifying. I don't know any psychologists or, or therapists who I don't, I haven't really had any, many conversations with them about this. My concern would be that they might think walking wouldn't be enough right. in terms of like, they need to do more. And realistically five minutes of walking, it's not going to get you outrageously far, but I'm not concerned about the five minutes of walking. I'm really thinking about what will those five minutes of walking lead you to do in the future? Yeah. Right. So if someone is, is at a point where they're, there's no way I'm going to the gym so they don't work out at all, but then I get them to start, listen, just do five minutes of walking every day. That's, that's literally it. Do five minutes and you've won the day. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're finishing their day with a huge accomplishment in their mind. Mm-hmm. And now they're getting in, a, in an idea of like, oh, I can do this. I can do five minutes a day. I'm, and then what will happen is oftentimes once they start walking a little bit more, because they now have more belief in themselves, they're increasing mm-hmm. their self-efficacy, they'll start looking at their nutrition a little bit. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe instead of having those peanut M&Ms, they're like, you know what, Like, I don't need those right now. Or maybe I'll have an apple instead. Without you saying anything, I've seen this happen time and time again, mm-hmm. just from having them do that one task, just that one thing of walking, they start mm-hmm. looking at other things. And then maybe if they go for five minutes, then like the next week they'll be like, I did 10 minutes today. Yeah. Like really proud of themselves. And they're really yeah. excited because they're starting to improve. And then in two months, three months, now they're walking 30 minutes a day. It's like, that's real. Like 30 mm-hmm. minutes a day of walking is no joke. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're, they're replacing one fast food meal a day with a big salad. So now you're having this opportunity where they went from nothing to walking 30 minutes a day, eating a salad every day, and they're losing a lot of body fat. They're getting a lot healthier. They're improving their cardiovascular health, their mental health, their emotional mm-hmm. health, their self-confidence. And then they're going to be like, I think I'm ready to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of coaches expect this to happen like that, but they don't understand. It might take three, four, five, six months, a year before they ever get to that point. But yeah. just because they're not going to the gym doesn't mean they're not making progress in other ways. Yeah. So I think if, if you can get people to start taking action, no matter how small, even if it's just five minutes of walking, you have no idea how likely it is to lead them down a path of success over success over success over success. Mm. Yeah, so sort of an incremental approach with regard to goal setting and, and really making things achievable for, for people within whatever capacity they're at at that point in time. I think that's, that's a huge part because, as I mentioned before, we often look at oh, what the industry standard is, right? Uh, work out half an hour a day, three times a week or, or along those lines and then use that to form our guidance for for people who are trying to lose weight and that may not necessarily be where, what they're capable of at that point in time. Or even yep. if they are, if they're afraid to try, it's not going to make any difference. That's exactly right. Okay. <laughs> I think you mentioned as well about people being afraid to go to the gym. And I think that is actually a big problem for a lot of people because although on the one hand, you know, you can say people aren't judging you and, and no one's really looking at what you're doing. 
But I think for a lot of people, especially people who are either really overweight or really underweight, when you go to gym sometimes, you do see people staring and you do have people making comments um, or if they know that you're going to the gym and they don't see a significant change, you know, the snide remarks about, oh, you go to the gym? How come you look the same, you know? So some of these things are also part of why people end up getting really discouraged and not even wanting to try or to continue. How do you suggest that we handle these things when we we encounter them? Um, Because they can really play a huge role in making us afraid, I guess. To continue. Yeah. You know, I would say a couple of things. Number one is, let's say you have someone who's just, they don't, they're not even going to go to the gym. They're not going to work out because they're scared people will judge them. Mm-hmm. They're scared people are going to have snide remarks. My usual discussion, it basically goes, okay, that's totally fine. Like, let's talk about this. You basically have two options. Number one is you can not go to the gym because you're worried about people making fun of you, judging you, looking at you, or you can go to the gym despite what people might think and say about you. When you're 90 years old and you look back on your life, will you be more proud of the fact that you stayed home to avoid what someone might think about you? Or will, will you be more proud that you went to the gym, you worked out despite what anyone might have said about you? Mm-hmm. And 10 times out of 10, the answer is always, I'll be more proud of myself if I do the hard thing, if I actually yeah. go and face my fear. And when you frame it that way, I I believe the term in psychology is consequential thinking, I Mm -hmm. think. I'm not 100% sure. But basically the idea that instead of thinking about how you feel in the moment, think about how you'll feel when the day is over. Think about how you'll feel later. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that can really help people make the right decision, Mm -hmm. especially in like addictive behaviors, but also in this type of scenario with fear, where it's like, listen, is, is this... Is this going to make you proud, happier, healthier? Like, is this the decision that's going to, that you're going to be proud to tell your kids or your grandkids? And usually from there, they can decide, okay, you know what? It's worth the pain. It's worth the discomfort. It's worth the fear in order to actually see the end result. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really where I tend to lead the conversation. Something else that I, I, I wanted to ask, and this is more along the lines of those of us who are maybe a bit more gung-ho when we first start, you know? So you get people who are really Is that afraid. you? Are you uh, on that? that more? <laughs> uh, sometimes. <laughs> but um, I think for some people, they start off really tentative, but for some people, they kind of want to go, go, go straight away. I want to be able to lift this weight. I want to be able to run this much. And your body may be not actually physically capable of that at yep. that point in time. Um, so... How, what about those people and also how do they learn to listen to their body and when might it be necessary for them to even engage uh, a professional to perhaps see what they're doing and how that's affecting them in a way that might be an actual impediment to progress or like an injury um, from pushing too hard too fast. How do they recognize the difference between say when something is a normal consequence of working out and when you're actually on the path to injury and putting yourself out for months you know yeah this one is it's difficult because it's the majority of people have the opposite problem right so it's difficult but for me I always like to talk with them and figure out 
why are they working out so hard? Why are they being so regimented, so strict? Like, what's the reason for it? If I've worked with an, an elite athlete, the answer is usually different than when I'm just talking with someone who is more doing it for an aesthetics purpose, mm-hmm. right? Elite athletes have a very different mindset and elite athletes will usually do it with the supervision of a coach. Mm-hmm. They'll usually like go out of their way to find someone to help them in the process. When someone's doing it for more of an aesthetics purpose, oftentimes mm-hmm. they're doing it on their own. Yeah. Because it's very hard to find a coach. I, I shouldn't say it's very hard. It's very hard to find a science-based coach who's going to mm-hmm. run you into the ground. Yeah. Right? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So usually when I'm talking to someone who has more of an aesthetics-based reason for this, maybe they're, they're usually the reason behind it is they're scared of getting fat. Mm. and they want to lose a lot of weight or they want to get leaner. They want to look better naked, whatever it is. And these are Mm -hmm. all totally fine goals. But for me, I have to ask them the conversation generally goes down the path of cool. So like first and foremost, it can be a little bit difficult of a conversation to get them to finally admit that they're scared about getting fat. It's usually a hard conversation and it will take multiple sessions. Usually in an hour, it could take 30 to 45 minutes Mm -hmm. for them to actually feel comfortable enough and be objective enough to say, I'm scared of getting fat. Mm -hmm. Because usually they'll say, I just love working out. It Mm -hmm. makes me good. I love it. And then we'll have the whole conversation like, cool, let's say you can't go on or you're going on vacation. You can't work out for a week. What do you do? They're like, I I lose my mind. I get pissed Mm -hmm. off. Like, everyone hates me. I'm like, yeah, let's say you just miss your workout for the day. Like what does your, your wife or your husband or your kids think about you? Like I get really pissed off at them, even though it's not their fault. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's really, that's, do you think that's a good relationship to have with exercise that you have to miss it one day and all of a sudden your day is ruined? Like they're like, no, probably not. I'm like, do you think elite athletes train every single day, seven days a week? Like if you, have you ever seen an Olympic athletes workout program? They're not training seven days a week, two hours a day. It's like, it's much more calculated and thought mm-hmm. out than this. And so for me, once they can get to the point where they're like, I'm doing it out of a fear mm-hmm. rather than out of an optimistic goal, like they're doing it out of a fear of gaining that, a fear of looking unattractive, a fear of not being able to look the way they want to look, a fear of not making progress, then we can start to attack, well, like what's the next best step? Like how should you actually be approaching this? Mm-hmm. And the conversation will often go towards, listen, for most people, progress for them is to get in the gym, to work out once, twice a week. For you, progress is going to be taking a little bit of a rest. Mm-hmm. For you, progress is going to be taking two days a week off and being okay with it and yeah. not letting it get to you. If you yeah. want to go on a walk, go on a walk. But we have to get to the point where you feel comfortable not driving yourself into the ground because like you said eventually they're going to hurt themselves mm-hmm. they're going to hurt themselves uh, like they're going to either hurt a muscle they're going to hurt themselves physically or mentally or both mm-hmm. uh could be from a hormonal perspective i mean i've seen m- women lose their menstrual cycles lose hair uh have infertility issues as a result of it tear hamstrings off the bone mm-hmm. uh like i've seen a lot of really bad stuff happen as a result of this I've noticed as a coach, if I just tell them, hey, you got to stop working out so much and so hard, they're likely to give me the middle finger and keep going. (laughs) But if they can, throughout the conversation, come up with, hey, I'm doing this because I'm scared of this, now we can have a more direct, honest conversation about how it's affecting them, how it's affecting Mm -hmm. their family, how it's affecting their health, and a a good plan to come up with it and sort of go down that consequential thinking path again. Mm -hmm. What decision is going to make you the most proud? And that helps them make the right decision. 
Wow. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so we've really covered quite a bit of a spectrum of different uh, health behaviors. Um, uh, before we just close, is there anything you'd like to to say to people who are considering sort of starting a fitness journey, or as you mentioned before, are scared? What would be one thing that they can take away from this? I would say a couple of things. I'd say number one is the fitness industry is a multi-billion dollar a year industry for a reason. Mm -hmm. And it's because most people are self-conscious, insecure, and scared, and they don't mm -hmm. know what to do. So if you fall into any of those categories, or they're also maybe unmotivated, if you fall mm -hmm. into any of those categories, congratulations, you're the normal, like you're literally the mass population. Mm -hmm. So don't feel alone. You shouldn't feel alone or odd or weird or lazy. It's like you are normal and that's okay. And the best part about that is you can change. It doesn't mean you can't succeed. It means that you're struggling with what most people struggle with. From there, I would say, I think the most important thing I can say is you can't fuck this up as long as you don't, as long as you don't quit, as long as you just get back on track. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you eat 5,000 calories more than you're supposed to. I don't care if you miss a, your workouts for a week or a month or a year. doesn't matter. Just get back on track. The only way to fail is if you quit. Mm -hmm. And once you get out of the, the mind, once you get that mindset ingrained and internalized, the only option is success because you're always going to be getting right back on track. Uh, and then finally, I would say the cliche that is something is always better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Always. So if literally all you do is walk for five minutes that day, you won. Like that's a win. Mm -hmm. Like, would I like you to do more eventually? Yes. But at least doing something is better than nothing. And that's always, always true. Okay, fantastic. So on that note, thank you so much, Jordan, for joining us today. Um, this has been another episode of the Empowering Live series. If you'd like to find out more about what Jordan does or follow his content, you can find him on YouTube. Just look for Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, on Instagram, Syatt Fitness. And uh, you can also check out his website, www.jordansyatt.com. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe. You've been listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at HELP University, Malaysia, the University of Achievers. For more information about HELP University, visit www.help.edu.my and learn about our world-class programs and mental health services. Thank you for listening. And remember, together we can empower each other to build rich and meaningful lives driven by purpose, vision, and values.